Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, August 14th. I'm Karen Brown. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we kick off the MPB news series, The State of Obesity, with a look at how the epidemic is affecting Mississippians. Mississippians gather in the capital city to remember the victims of violent white supremacist protests in Charlottesville, Virginia. And after everyday tech, a new report says more Mississippi students may want jobs in science, technology, engineering, or math if they learn their friends are also interested in those subjects. I hope that the children of Mississippi are educated and have enough experiences that they will be able to choose whatever they want to do and be whatever they want to be. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Obesity remains one of the most pressing health concerns facing Mississippi. It's associated with illnesses like diabetes and heart disease, stealing thousands from a person's pocketbook and years from a person's life. As part of a new series we're calling State of Obesity, we hear from a man at the forefront of the state's battle against the condition. Victor Sutton is Director of Preventive Health at the Mississippi State Department of Health. He tells at issue host Wilson Stribling why Mississippi is always a condition tender for the obesity title. Um, it's the foods that we eat. It's um, the rural nature of our state. It's the access of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables that's available with a number of food deserts that we have around our state. And it's uh, our inactivity uh, that we have, sedentary-type lifestyles, and those opportunities to be more active around the state. So there's a number of different issues that impact our state. We hear that phrase a lot, food deserts. What exactly is a food desert? Uh, a food desert uh, pertains to where you live and and reasonable access to get to a, a, a place to purchase uh, fresh fruits and vegetables around uh, in, in your particular community. Like a grocery store. Near grocery the, store. The proximity you might, uh, your proximity to a grocery store. Correct. So those are some of the issues that we face um, where we have a number of different food deserts located around the state. How exactly is obesity defined? A good question. Um, when we talk about obesity, we're usually talking about a BMI that's over 30. The body uh, mass index. Uh, body mass index. And over weight is considered somewhere between 25 and 29. Body mass index is a calculation that's standard across the country, and it's a calculation of what's your height and your weight. And um, it's um, a calculation that's gender-specific for men and women. So, are there differences between men and women, or even racial differences, or differences among uh, different income levels of people? Who's most obese? Yeah, who's most obese tend to be women, uh, tend to be minorities. Um, and so those are just some of the issues that, that we have around our state. Um, there's a number of factors, such as social determinant factors, that we, that we like to uh, call to uh, assume income, education, as I mentioned earlier, where you live, uh, geography, and what, what you have available to you. So um, we tend to be obese across the board, but we do have various populations and various groups that are improportionately uh, uh, impacted by some of these issues. Let's talk about income level. What, what are the differences you see among different uh, income levels? Um, we tend to see those um, household incomes, 15000 20000 below, uh, more predisposed to um, to uh, having an, being obese. Mm. Uh, issues around educational level, uh, those with um, 
uh, lower lower levels of education tend to be more obese, uh, and, and this is an issue around poverty. The marketers and the advertisers obviously have a lot of money to put behind their campaigns. What kind of money does it take for you to get this word out, and what kind of support do you get monetarily on the state level and on the federal level? Most of the dollars that we have in, in my particular office uh, are federal dollars, and so <clears> we <throat> compete nationally for grants to... Um, to do programs, to promote evidence-based type activities, to try to help provide, make the healthy choice the easy choice, to try to put um, programs in place to to change this whole culture of health. And we work in changing this culture of health by working with faith-based communities as it relates to health ministries and what they can do at the church, uh, no fried chicken Sundays, um, churches having walking clubs, churches having screenings, um, working with work sites, work sites to understand that the value of healthier employees and what that means to the bottom line um, with, the, with the private sector. Uh, um, they're doing some amazing things around the state, providing clinics uh, in work sites, um, having a focus on healthier employees because we know healthier employees tend to be more productive. They take less time off work. Um, bottom line with workers' comp, they pull less from the, from the health plan. And so there's a, lot, a number of different benefits for employers to um, invest in their employee around health. In a lot of urban areas in Mississippi, or what we call urban, uh, there's access to gyms and there's access to fitness um, places. And in a lot of places around our state, there's not access to those things. But um, working with schools and, and talking about shared use agreements, there's opportunities to open up those schools to that particular community. You spend a lot of time studying numbers and, and looking at data. What do you see as the trend? Unfortunately, we have not been trending well. Um, we've been in first or second place for for quite some now for some time now as it relates to the prevalence of uh, obesity in the state. And, you know, we didn't get here overnight. And so it's kind of like turning a big ship around. And it takes a little time to, to, to turn that ship around, but I think we're turning in the right direction, Wilson. Victor Sutton, Director of Preventive Health at the Mississippi State Department of Health. Thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up, sentiments from Mississippians gathered to remember the victims of violence in Virginia. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Religious leaders, community organizations, and citizens held candles and spoke out in solidarity with the people of Charlottesville, Virginia, Sunday night in Jackson. Over the weekend, the Virginia city was the site of hostile demonstrations by a collection of racist groups, ending in the death of one woman when a car was driven directly into a group of counter-protesters. With Mississippi's unique connection to its own racist past, many of the people gathered thought it important that Mississippians speak out against white supremacy. Bishop James Swanson leads the United Methodist Church in Mississippi. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall. If you look at our history, um, it's important that we understand and know that uh, those seeds uh, that gave rise to what happened in Charlottesville are here. Uh, And for us to deny that uh, means that... um, we give place for that to happen here. And what we have to do is to say uh, to the citizens of Mississippi that there are people here in Mississippi who don't want to see that. And uh, people who have a hope and a dream of a better Mississippi than what we saw in Charlottesville. We don't want to see that happen. So we need to make sure people hear that and that those who may be contemplating uh, the same kind of uh, acts of hatred 
would know that uh, not in Mississippi. We don't want to see it. Now, the, the uh, actions in Charlottesville were uh, demonstrations, uh, much of it uh, against African Americans, against Jewish people, um, and, and other minorities. There, there are uh, people in Mississippi, uh, e even on the, on the conservative side of the political spectrum, who say uh, the, the white supremacists themselves are a minority faction that we don't need to worry about. There are only a few. What's your reaction to that? Well, uh, when I first got married, my wife and I bought a little, um, I guess you would call it a, a mat. That when you step out of the bathtub to catch all of the water, and, and it said this, it said, uh, big drops from little drips grow. And so what you have to understand and know that people who have that kind of philosophy, they don't keep it to themselves. Uh, they're going to continue to spread that. And there are people in our state, in our world, who are uh, depressed, who do feel that somehow others have it better than them because of their race or because of their ethnicity and um, are looking for scapegoats. And they can be easily fed that and can be turned into people uh, filled with bigotry and hatred by folk who have that kind of philosophy. And we need to let folk know that that's not true. And, and when you let that go, the other thing you have to always understand, you don't defeat darkness by allowing it to hide in the dark. You turn the light on it. And when you turn the light on darkness, uh, it disappears. So you can't let it go like that. You just can't. Uh, as much as, as I and anyone else would want to see it go away, as a black person, man, I'm tired of this. I'm 67 years old, but I'm not too tired to keep fighting uh, for justice, and I'm not too tired to keep telling people uh, that God wants us to be a loving community. And I believe we can do it, but we've got to, to stand up, even when it's tough. How do people get over this? I, I know a lot mm -hmm. of people who are talking about issues like the state flag and, yeah. and some of these other things, yeah. they really feel mm -hmm. as though, even though they have ancestors, who were embroiled in the wrong side of an issue at the time, that doesn't define the totality of who those people were, and they feel like moving beyond that abandons their family. Now, how can people like that uh, find uh, whatever peace that they need? Yeah, I think the way you do that is with honesty. I'm going to tell you, if I happen to be white, and my dad had fought for the Confederacy, and I'm a Christian, born-again person, and somebody was using a flag that honored my grandfather to do these despicable acts, I would speak out against it. I wouldn't want my dad honored by a flag that uh, would tarnish his life and his image. And so people who, who have ancestors who fought under that flag should be speaking out against this and should be saying that that flag does not represent uh, the hatred that other folks say it does. And that's part of what God teaches us about forgiveness. And, and as Christians, as people of faith, you have to tell the truth in order to be forgiven. And so somewhere along the line, America's got to tell the truth to itself so we can forgive ourselves and quit trying to justify something that we did that was wrong. It was just inhumane. Bishop James Swanson, thank you very much. Thank you. Coming up, interest in STEM can be contagious among students. Educators say this is good for career success. That's after Everyday Tech. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with the Wilts Cotraire. And today we're discussing whether to upgrade or replace computer systems and devices. So, Wilts, when it comes to upgrading or replacing computer systems, which one is best? Well, a lot really depends on what you're trying to accomplish, Michelle. Um, Some folks just love to have the newest, latest, greatest, and for them, hey, spending the money out there, they're just going to go ahead and do it. You know, kind of to me, I like to really begin to answer that question with another question is, what do you want to accomplish? What do you need it for? Uh, for example, if all you're doing is some basic email and web browsing and you know just some light work like that, there's not really a need to go out there and get that latest and greatest. But you know, if you're an online gamer or you're really into photo and video editing and such, yeah, there's probably definitely some uh, some cases out there to to look at a newer computer. But it also could just be something as simple as a a small upgrade to that computer could actually bring that older device back to life and still fit what you need without breaking the bank. And when we say computers, we're actually not just talking about computers. We're talking about phones as well. Oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, pretty much any of the tech devices on out there. Uh, uh, My neighbor, for example, has been using an an iPhone 4S for Lord knows how long. Wow. But it was really simple. The apps that he needed, it worked just fine because what he was concerned with that phone doing is I want to make phone calls, receive phone calls, and deal with voicemail. And he wasn't really into the gaming and playing on it, so he didn't need that newer device. All of the operating systems, all of the games, all the applications that are out there today that are current will run just fine on your phone. Yes, they may be a tad bit slower than what they might be on the 7, but if it's not too slow to you, why do you really need to spend that money? And that that's that's really my whole point is... I'm not a big proponent of spending money just for the heck of it. Unless anybody's got a bunch of money out there they want to send my way, please feel free to send it. Okay. And speaking of upgrading, what can be upgraded in your device? Well, when you're talking about a phone internally on the iPhone, not really much of anything. They're not exactly an upgradable device. Now, if we move that over to your desktop or your laptop computers, there's a good bit you can do in there, such as things uh, you can replace the memory. Replacing the memory, you over here referred to as RAM, can do a lot for increasing the performance of your computer. Kind of think of it as giving it a lot more of a working area to work with, so it allows it to do a little bit more. Um, You can replace things like a hard drive inside that. That's where all your files are stored, maybe for additional storage or faster storage. Uh, That does usually involve a little bit more work involved with that. Memory upgrades are very simple to do. Hard drive upgrades may involve some, uh, some intermediate tech skills. And again, you can also you can upgrade things if it's a desktop, especially things like video cards. If you are trying to do a lot of that video editing, you can improve that audio cards if you're maybe, you know, recording music and such. So it just really depends on what your device is. So what are some of the risks in using an outdated computer? Well, one of the main risks is over time, these software companies will stop supporting older operating systems. Um, I'll use Windows as an example. Windows XP was around for quite a while, a lot, you know, had a lot of implementations, but eventually it got to the point Microsoft said, you know what, that's an older operating system. We're not going to support that anymore. And what that did is that opened everyone up to a lot of security holes because if they're not patching that anymore, if they're not running security 
scans and software on it anymore, you run the risk of an infection. We saw that recently with the what, what was called the WannaCry um, malware attack, and it was especially getting those older operating systems that were no longer supported. Same thing can happen with your phones or other devices. If they're not supported anymore, they may not be receiving the security updates they need, um, functionality updates they need, and things like that. Whenever I'm thinking about upgrading or replacing my computer, I often think of the analogy of upgrading or replacing my car. I'm not going to replace my car simply because I need an oil change or need to change the tires on out. I'm going to replace my car when it no longer suits my needs and can't get me where I need to go to safely. It's the same way with my technology. If my phone or my computer or any other device is not doing what I need to do and keeping me safe from the threats that are out there, at that point, I really need to look at upgrading or replacing it. We will talk more about upgrading or replacing systems on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can always send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi students are more likely to choose a career in STEM if their peers are interested in science classes like biology and chemistry. That's according to a new report published in the journal Science Advances. STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Creating student interest in STEM fields may still need work. Kimberly Britton is the assistant superintendent for Tupelo Public Schools. The district is using grant money provided by the Rotary Club of Tupelo to further STEM education in the schools through the use of hands-on science kits. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware about the school's new curriculum. Our new STEM curriculum is just integrating those STEM strategies within the classroom, within the current curriculum. So students who are working in science or mathematics will actually have some, some engineering and technology in those classes also. For what grade level are we looking at this for? Currently, we're integrating STEM in grades K through 8. And this is just a more engineering focus in the standard science classes or an additional class? In our science classes, as well as our mathematics classes, when students, you know, traditionally math would be just paper and pencil, but actually having some engineering and some science integrated with the math makes it more meaningful. And so our students have a a stronger understanding of the math as well as the science, because they're actually putting the math and science in practice, not just memorizing facts or definitions, but actually applying the math and applying the science. So what new elements are going to be implemented using the grant money? Well, we use the grant money to purchase some FOSS kits that the teachers can just open a box, and it's like a science lesson within a box. Everything that the teacher needs for a science experiment is included in that box. So um, everything that an entire class would need to create, to learn what they're reading, and what the students need to write about as well. Now, what we've done as a district is look at our Mississippi Science Standards and place the FOSS kits appropriately by grade level so that the FOSS kits are supplementing our science curriculum. So we're still teaching the science curriculum that is required, but we are uh, deepening those experiences for our students by using those FOSS kits. Kimberly Britton is the Assistant Superintendent for Tupelo Public Schools. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. I enjoyed it. 
Jermaine McConnell is executive director of the Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware why peer interest can pique interest in students. Sometimes uh, it's about like peer pressure, right? You see everybody doing something and you want to do it as well. If it looks fun to one person, wow, you know, I may enjoy doing that as well. And so I think that when something is popular or fun, which I really think science is fun, uh, then it becomes contagious as well. And where we are now academically, why is it important for students to be introduced to STEM and have that be part of their academic curriculum? Students need to have an opportunity for problem-solving at early ages, uh, discovery, uh, exploring different things. They need to be introduced to problems and given an opportunity to solve those things. And, you know, it's about the hands-on learning activities. Now, where students, you know, it helps them become even more engaged and interested in what they're learning. Anything that we're learning, we're more engaged with it when we can actually solve problems. And how does the STEM education extend past the classroom as students graduate and enter workforce and college classes? Students who, you know, are engaged in, you know, various STEM opportunities, especially from early ages, but even later, those individuals uh, end up acquiring those skills that that are needed. Like I said, problem solving is very important. Uh, Critical thinking skills uh, as well. And so there are so many things that you learn from a STEM-focused curriculum that help you in other areas as well. I mean, here at MSMS, our focus is STEM, but our students go on and do um, many things, even outside of the the STEM fields. But what they're learning here and the critical thinking skills, et cetera, uh, it really helps them uh, in their other areas as well. How can an interest in STEM benefit students once they begin choosing careers, especially in a state like Mississippi? think about the jobs that are out there and the jobs of the future, with the advances in technology today, it's extremely important that we allow students the opportunity to learn about the different advances in technology, the different careers that are available to them. And, you know, if they want jobs or they want to be leaders of tomorrow, then the experiences and the things that we provide for them right now, um, those things are going to be very helpful. So a lot of the jobs of tomorrow have to do with technology, engineering, science, mathematics. And so the more we can expose to students now to those opportunities and those experiences, the better off we're going to be with them identifying things that they can do in those jobs that are available in the future. What are possible concerns for educators in boosting STEM interest? I think possible concerns for educators would be technology is advancing so fast right now. You know, how do teachers, administrators, staff keep up with those latest technologies? And it takes training. It takes time to read and research. And faculty and staff have to be lifelong learners. Educators have to be lifelong learners. And, you know, we can understand this particular technology today, but tomorrow it's going to be advanced. And so how do we keep up with these latest advances so that we can continue to provide our students with up-to-date technologies and experiences. Jermaine McConnell is the Executive Director for Mississippi School for Math and Science. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. The labor market data firm EMSI reports in Mississippi, people who work in STEM fields earn an average of $10 more an hour than those in non-STEM fields. 
Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays are credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC.